Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I'm your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. Today, we're going to continue our conversation as part of our recurring series, Inside the General Counsel's Office. We will continue our conversation with Erin Wilson. Erin is General Counsel at CU Direct, and she oversees the legal compliance and enterprise risk functions. She has over 20 years of experience in the financial services industry with expertise in contracts, vendor oversight, litigation management, risk, and privacy matters. Prior to joining CU Direct in September of 2018, Erin held several in-house legal positions, including as Senior Vice President, Associate General Counsel at Stearns Lending, Vice President and Assistant General Counsel at First American Financial Corporation, and as Senior Counsel at ACC Capital Holdings. It is my privilege to welcome Erin Wilson back to the show. Hi, it's good to be back. So Erin, in our last episode, you walked us through highlights of your professional life, as well as your journey to the GC role that you currently have. And you also shared some of the things that you have found the most rewarding and challenging about your role. Why don't you tell us about another critical part of your GC role, your relationships and interactions with your C-suite and the board, and the things that you as a GC and others need to keep in mind with regard to those relationships? Ooh, that's a good one. That's, that, <laughs> that, that gets right to the heart and soul of a general counsel right there. <laughs> so it's interesting for a general counsel because you do have an ethical duty to the corporation And you also have an ethical duty to the board. So those are your main areas of of duty, if you will, reporting and such. Now, you also have that corollary responsibility to your executives, to the C-suite. And depending on how big your executive panel, that can be challenging. Obviously, the more people the more different styles of personality with which you're dealing. I have found that one of the most critical aspects to approaching not only your executives, but your board is to recognize and understand the various communication styles. So My background, I did get my bachelor's degree in communications, and I started out early in advertising. And you had to take some psychology courses and learn all about various communication styles. And remember that communication is very much a two-way street. And what you believe you are communicating is not always what is being received due to the perception of the audience. And I have also a background in uh, live performance. And I will say, know your audience. (laughs) 
that goes across the board. And knowing your audience with your executives and your board is key. You have to understand when you're speaking to them what it is that they're hearing when you are giving these messages. Because as a general counsel, you are advising on risk and some pretty important matters for the most part. So you have to temper your message sometimes in a way that they are going to actually hear what you're saying and not just hear fire alarms going off in their head, at which point some people tend to shut down. So communication is absolutely key in this regard. And I would say that while you can't always be warm and fuzzy in what you're delivering, you also don't have to do it with a ball peen hammer to the head. So <laughs> you know, ways to go about that. But I would say definitely that is really my most important thing that I keep in mind is who am I speaking to right now? And if I'm speaking to the board as a whole, what is it that I know about these people and how can I deliver this message in the most effective way possible um, and sometimes without doing damage so that they're not hearing the rest of the message. That's key to me. So how did you learn this? I mean, I know that from just having known you for so long, you're very astute, you're very smart, you're very observant, you've got a great dose of common sense, you know, and, but I think that there may be some folks who like you in the audience are GCs for the first time. And maybe they're not as long into their tenure as you are. Do you have any advice for folks out there who may be navigating the GC waters relatively early in their career? How did you figure this out that these are the sorts of things that as a general counsel are game changers? Well, I, I have been quite fortunate that I have worked for general counsels who were very, very good at what they did. Great mentors to me. And one of my GCs that I worked for, when I stepped into the world of corporate governance and boards for the first time, walked me through. And before I ever even stepped foot in the boardroom, he had walked me through each of the directors, who they were, what they did. He said, read their backgrounds, pull up their bios, check out who they are and what they do. Look at the companies they work for so that you can understand what their concerns may be. This was critical. This was vital. I, I, I was so grateful that he gave me this advice because again, it allowed me to understand the audience and knowing your audience it's a phrase I use quite a bit. I actually say it to people in, in the HR world all the time <laughs> because you never really know what's going on in a person's head when you're speaking to them. This is true in daily life. This is true with anyone that you need to communicate with. You don't know that they didn't just have a huge fight with their spouse before they left work that morning. You don't know that they don't have an ill mother in a hospital somewhere. These are things you won't know. So my tendency is to approach communication from a place of understanding to begin with. And I don't want to get too out there, but it, it is important. 
that whole concept of treat others as you would like to be treated is not lost on me. And I, I believe it works in everyday life as well as business communications. It just helps kind of open that channel. Another source I I get that from, uh, like I said, live music. So I, I've performed in bands uh, since I was very young. And you have to be able to read your audience when you're up there. Uh, when you are fronting a band, it's very similar to being a GC. The performance will rise and fall on the lead singer. And if you are not connecting with your audience, it's a very sterile performance. You have to have that open communication wave to be able to do it. And sometimes it's really, really tough. Like when you're a rock band and they've booked you into a death metal venue and all of a sudden <laughs> people who, who are looking at you with absolute contempt because you don't look like what they expected to have up on stage. That's a tough one. Really tough in there. <laughs> so sometimes, honestly, walking into a boardroom, when you have news that you have to deliver that you know is not going to be good, it's that same feeling. You know that you're you're going to have to really open yourself up and, and maybe take some really tough questions. And there are times when you have to be comfortable saying, I don't know the answer to that right now, but I'm going to get it for you. Toughest thing to do. You want to look like you know everything at all times. And sometimes you just don't. That was another lesson. Great general counsel I worked for. And I said, what happens if they ask me something I don't know? And he said, you say, I'm not sure. Let me get back to you. Great advice. That's really great. And I think you may be the only person I have ever known who has compared being a general counsel to being the lead singer of a rock band. I love <laughs> it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> well, there are similarities. <laughs> I'm sure so. there are. So my guess is that we've covered some of this ground, but I do have to ask the question that I ask every GC that I have on the show for this special segment of Tales from the General Counsel's Office, and that is, what keeps you up at night as a general counsel? <laughs> oh, it's funny you ask that. I, I just did a presentation uh, the other day, and it was the top 10 things that keep Aaron up at night for my <laughs> Um, I actually did that one time in a setting where I channeled David Letterman and I had my top 10 and I was throwing those cards over my shoulder as I took them off my chest. At any given moment, it's, it's a different thing that keeps me up, but by and large, and it really does keep me up. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, I will wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and think, okay, how am I going to deal with this? And generally it is the, what don't I know? That's what keeps me up is what have I perhaps missed or what have I not been privy to yet? Because what you don't know are the things that you are not addressing. And so that's really 
what keeps me up is what haven't I figured out? What don't I know that's happening? Sometimes it's a, a risk decision. Have we taken into account everything that we can in order to make this big decision? You, you operate to the best of your ability. You have trusted advisors within the corporation. You have your go-to people. And you, at the end of the day, you have to trust that and make your decision. But you also have to have that, I don't know what the word is. You have to be able to adjust those decisions too. If you make a decision and more information comes to light, you need to have that internal strength to go to your executive panel or your board and say, hey, we think maybe this wasn't the right decision because we didn't have the information available to us at the time. And now we think we need to go in this direction. That's really important. It's very difficult to say, maybe that wasn't the right decision. And yet sometimes more information comes to light and you do need to pivot, but you got to be able to say it. You just do. Well, that's really great advice. I mean, one quick follow-up question I've got for you is to what extent does your intuition help you in dealing with what you don't know and with those things, especially those things that keep you up at night? As you know, I I have said this many times and, and I really believe it is that there are times you must trust your gut. You've got to go with the internal. We have such capacity in our minds and in our brains and your brain is taking in all this information at all times. And there are certain instances where you've been given information, but there is something nagging, something that's telling you it's just not right. And you need to trust that and do more investigation. If, if something's telling you it's not right, look into it, you know, keep checking because there is definitely something that is, you know, tossing around in your subconscious that is signaling you. I, I do believe that we use our intellect, we use our logic and reasoning. And yet there are times when we need to look a little further because we feel that that tinge that something is not right there. So yeah, I do believe in in following your gut for sure. So we've talked about your trusted counsel that you work with at your company. You've talked about really looking within and trusting yourself, going through the information you know, trying to figure out to the best of your ability what you don't know so you can get up to speed, the importance of going with your gut. And I think another facet of decision-making and getting trusted counsel is with the outside counsel that you work with. I'm sure our listeners would love to hear any anecdotes you've got about the good, the bad, and the ugly of working with outside counsel and any tips you might have for the, those listeners out there who are 
in private practice and looking to work with people just like you, do you have any tips or words to the wise about how best to conduct yourself as an outside counsel? Wow, that is such a great question and introduction into that symbiosis of inside and outside counsel. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So even if it doesn't matter what size your law department is, I've worked for super large companies with big law departments, as I mentioned prior, and I have been in very lean situations. Either way, you will be dealing with outside counsel for certain matters and expertise. In a lot of instances, that happens with M&A deals or intellectual property and most essentially litigation. So one of the things early on in in my career when I got a, a department thrown at me, I was working with some outside councils and I felt that some of what was happening was a result of this firm having been outside counsel for a very long time. And while they did know our company really well, my perception was that it had become rote, if you will. I felt that we were not being given the service uh, that we should be given, especially with the billables that take place with outside counsel. And you do have to be conscious of that. So I took I took this department's business out to to bid, if you will. I I talked to several different colleagues who were in-house, asked them about who they were using for partic- this particular matter. And I started looking. I whittled it down to four or five law firms. And I said, here's what we're looking to do. Here's what we would expect. I'd like you to come in and, you know, tell me what you could do for us. And I I obviously got the blessing of my general counsel before I did that. But it was a great experience. And it opened my eyes to all the nuances that different outside counsels can offer, whether it's a big law firm whether it's a boutique that is very, very specialized in the field that you need the work done in, or if it is a a sole proprietor. I have worked with with those outside counsels as well. And eventually we landed on the right fit and it was great. That relationship developed uh, and I have used that outside counsel in various companies I have been with since that time. Once you find an outside counsel for particular matters that works very well for your company and with your communication style, they're gold, honestly. You have to have trust with your outside counsel to be able to have very hard conversations. Sometimes these are difficult than the ones you'll have with your board or your executive committee because the rubber hits the road, especially in litigation. No litigator wants a surprise at the back end ever. You need to know as much as you can possibly know to avoid a situation of a gotcha. 
And so sometimes you do have to have those really difficult conversations. So you need to have trust there. And you need to have trust to be able to say, hey, is there anything we can do about this bill? Sometimes it happens. And that is the most uncomfortable conversation, in my opinion. Um, and sometimes you have to have it. And it, it's, it is uncomfortable. You know, you're, you're telling this outside firm, we need you to do this, that, and the other, and I need your help, and I need it now. Oh, but hey, you cost too much. That is not an easy discussion, but you need to be able to have it and work with them and see what you can do because budgets are there for everyone and nobody is immune. No one is immune from cost considerations. So you got to be able to do it. You, you better have that open line of communication and that trust with outside counsel for all of, all of the aforementioned reasons. Well, and I think you've given some really good advice and pointers to folks. And that's been my experience too with relationships such as our relationship. You know, it's important to have a really good foundation of communication, authenticity, and and transparency and an alignment of goals, um, which some people would be of the mindset that it's very hard to create a true alignment of goals given the way that some folks perceive law firms are run. But at the end of the day, the way I view working with in-house counsel is that it's got to be a true partnership. There has to be an understanding of the business, what the pressure points are, and what you as in-house counsel and as an organization are trying to achieve so that I can tailor my legal services accordingly. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. It is a a symbiotic relationship and you, you got to have the, the ability to have openness there. Very critical. So let's shift gears a bit as we're winding down our second segment together. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about you? Who is Aaron Wilson, the person? What do you do for fun? And what is coming up for you next professionally and personally? Wow. So this is the fun part of the conversation. I, uh, as I, I mentioned in the first segment, I, I am a wife and mother. I adore my four kids. I have two grown kids and I also have a, a son who's graduating high school right now who, wow. I mean, it's so sad in this COVID time. They Prom is gone, graduation's gone, all these things. So, you know, we're trying to make the best of it. Um, and then I have my fourth who will be starting high school. So quite the gamut, but man, these kids keep me on my toes. Uh, and so for downtime, when I am not fielding legal issues and, and life issues with the children, I'm a singer. I have been singing in bands since I was about 17. I currently have a rock cover band, which was new for me. I had always done original music, always written and recorded my own. So this is kind of a a fun lark, if you will, to do cover bands. I was recently in an Aerosmith tribute band, which was fantastic. Great group of guys. Loved doing the music for Aerosmith. Steven Tyler is just such a phenomenal showman. Um, but something has to give sometimes. <laughs> Can't do it all. Uh, I 
I also love to read. I love novels. I like anything really uh, historical, fictional. I like to get lost in a good book. And I think sometimes as, as lawyers, we read so much in our jobs uh, that I, I like to be able to read for enjoyment. A good book is like taking a journey. It's to me, I, I literally can get lost in it. And I, I enjoy that feeling and getting to know the characters and such. So that's, that's one of my respite activities. What's the best book you've read? Oh my goodness. So many books. Uh, <laughs> but I will say one of my favorites was co-written uh, Stephen King and Peter Straub, and it's called The Talisman. And I named my very first band after that book because I, it just resonated so much with me. It's actually a, a great story about a personal journey of a young man, but it's also about multiple dimensions and you know that element of science fiction coupled with a young boy who's, who's learning about life. So great, great book. Um, but that one has always been one of my favorites. And so I, uh, I also will throw out that uh, I was a dancer early on. I had been trained classically in ballet. And when I started college, I was a dance major. And Tina, you know this story. I'm not going to go really into it. I'll just start it. I, I got run over by a car when I was leaving work. And it was really bad. I, uh, I was in a coma for a while. I came out. I was paralyzed. I didn't walk for close to a year. I started back to college in a wheelchair. Needless to say, my dance career was trashed. But as with most things in life, I learned a lot about myself, about my friends, about what's important, about how life can turn on a dime. I, I, I'm highly amused when people say things at work like, well, we need to make sure these are all in one location in case the person who's managing this gets hit by a bus. And I always think, yeah, that's exactly right. Yes, because it can and it does happen. So yeah, great, great lessons. But I was fortunate to have great physical therapists and great surgeons. And I have been able to dance again, not at, not at that level, but you know, it's, it's good for me to be able to at least move. And if you, if you ever meet me or you see me, you would never know that that happened. I, I am so fortunate uh, that I came through that the way I did. But again, it teaches you so much about what you are capable of and what those around you are capable of and to use your support system. A lot of us are very independent and sometimes it's hard to rely on others, but sometimes you have to. And again, good lessons in life. So that's, that's me. <laughs> well, it, it has just been such a pleasure having the opportunity to speak with you for the past hour. And just, I feel so very fortunate to have you as a friend and a colleague for almost 20 years now. We've known each other professionally and, and personally. And I just feel so honored that I've been able to share the past hour with you and to give my listeners a sense as to 
who you are and what a wonderful person you are and what a you are a fierce, tenacious spirit and just one of the most loving and kind people I know. And I'm just so, I feel so grateful that we've had this time together and would love to give you the opportunity as we wind out our time together to share any final thoughts you may have with our listeners and to let them know where they can find you. Wow. Well, first, let me let me thank you again, Tina. It's always so fun talking with you over these many years. We've had such great conversations. And so this was a pleasure to be able to sit with you and, and talk about some of these interesting facets of being a GC. Can I, can I give a little plug? Can I plug something really quickly? Sure. Of course you can. So I did just release a children's album. And uh, it is my pride and joy. I, I worked years and years on it. And it's a great little album of children's music, but not, not kind of sing-songy music, but each song has a different musical genre, like country, hip-hop, island, all these different things. So it's called Kungle Bungle. So if anybody has kids or grandkids and they're looking for some cool music, um, we're on Spotify and iTunes and pretty much everything. So if you look up Kungle Bungle, it's there. So thank you. That's so cool. I'm going to have to check that out. That's awesome. Thank you. One of my, I would say one of my favorite songs is an island themed. It's a ukulele song and it's called Dream Big. And it's all about reminding kids to keep those dreams. So that's a good one. I would just say, you know, in this legal world, we we do the best we can for our clients. We are ethical. We try to be as upstanding as possible. And just, I would always like to remind all those lawyers out there, be as forthright as you can, but be a human being. We're all in this together. We all have our jobs and we all have our gifts. And just try to remember that when you're dealing with the other side. That's wonderful advice. Where can our listeners find you? You can find me on LinkedIn, Erin Wilson. And uh, I can also be reached at my work email, which is Erin, E-R-I-N dot Wilson, W-I-L-S-O-N at C-U-Direct com. Thank you so much, Aaron. It's been so much fun getting a chance to sit down and chat with you. And I'm really looking forward to next time. Thank you, Tina. I hope to see you soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. We hope that you've enjoyed part two of our conversation with Aaron Wilson from inside the general counsel's office. We hope that you will join us for next week's episode. I'm your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.